0: Sometimes I wish I had a, a pretty voice so I could sing "Come into my heart, Lord Jesus," and it sounded pretty, rather than "Come into my heart, Lord Jesus." You know, I just can't sing pretty like that, so I thank the choir for singing for me there. That's a uh, you sing to my heart, and I appreciate that. Thank you so much. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 41 this morning, Uh, we're going to continue with a story that we started last week. So let me take some time to set it up a little bit because you'll notice right at verse uh, 37, that's where we'll start this morning. Uh, Genesis uh, 41, uh, starting at 37, uh, it talks about this proposal pleased Pharaoh. So uh, let me back up a little bit and talk about this proposal that is pleasing to Pharaoh. What has happened is, uh, Joseph has been in, in prison for a little while now, and uh, he had in, interpreted a couple of dreams uh, in prison, and, and uh, the, one guy got out, one guy got hanged, and then uh, Pharaoh had a couple of dreams. And these dreams uh, were, well, they were a little threatening to Pharaoh, and he really wanted to know uh, what this was all about. And, and the dreams basically were uh, that, that there were two dreams that meant the same thing. Uh, in one of them, there was uh, seven cows that came up out of the Nile. That, that's kind of where they would graze back then. And, and then these uh, seven really thin, ugly, super ugly cows came and ate them. And and after they ate the good cows, and they were still really, really ugly, and, and this was bothering uh, Pharaoh, and he had another dream with, uh, with uh, some grain. And, and so uh, he wanted to know what this was about, but nobody could tell him. None of his wise men, none of his uh, magicians could tell him what it meant. And, and so then the cupbearer is the guy that got out, uh, from prison with Joseph, he said, "Oh, wait a minute, this guy uh, this Hebrew man in in prison, uh, he can interpret dreams. We, I saw him do this, and and so uh, the the Pharaoh said, well, get this guy quickly and have him come to me and and uh, Joseph interprets the dreams, and he says here 's what they mean there will be uh, seven years of of great plenty. Those are the seven fat cows there 's going to be great years, uh, but then there's going to be seven years of famine, and there are going to be really bad years of famine, so bad that we're not even going to remember uh, about the good years. It will just wipe us out uh, completely. So what you need to do is find somebody that you can appoint that will, during the good years, uh, store grain in several different places, and and he told them, you know, how much grain to to store so that when we get to the seven bad years, we can continue to eat. And so that is the proposal that uh, Joseph had mentioned to Pharaoh, and that's where we'll pick up the story then. Genesis chapter 41, beginning at verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in the second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zepheneth pinah And he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction." The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. The word of the Lord. Well, for those of you who... uh, like history, and this is somewhat recent history, or maybe you just have a good memory, or maybe you like trivia, if I were to ask you the question, who served as vice president and president but was never elected to either office? And many of you could answer, Gerald Ford, never elected as vice president or president. He was a senator from Michigan, and a long-time senator, actually, and and the vice president resigned under uh, President Nixon. And, uh, in fact, uh, the history books tell me that President Nixon didn't even really like Ford that much, but his advisors kind of put Ford uh, as the only guy he could choose because they knew he was the man that could get uh, approval from the people he needed approval from, that both the Democrats and the, and the Republicans would approve uh, Ford, even though Nixon didn't really want him, but, but they just wanted this over quickly. And so uh, Ford became the vice president. Well, less than a year later, President Nixon himself resigned from office, and all of a sudden, now Vice President Ford is, is the president of the United States. And here's the thing about Gerald Ford. He had been serving uh, for a long time. In fact, as he was voted senator for that last term, he told his wife, this, I'm going to retire after this term. And then when he was made vice president, he told his wife, well, this will be a good way to end my political career as vice president. And even before he moved into the vice president's uh, residence, uh, he was told, uh, be ready, because there's some things that are going to happen, and and things are going to change quickly, and you might be president. And within a year, he was president. This unlikely guy, who wasn't even really seeking that office, becomes president, And when we look at this passage, we see in another way, here's this unlikely guy, not really seeking this position of power, but it comes his way, and he has to be ready for what's there. It's it's Joseph. He's been in prison for a few years now, but he gets a huge promotion, from prisoner to second in the land. And in fact, uh, the Pharaoh, he didn't do a whole lot. He kind of put everything on Joseph. And and we see that uh, Pharaoh, uh, after these dreams that he had, uh, spoke with Joseph, who had interpreted the dreams. And to Pharaoh's credit, he didn't hold any prejudice against Joseph. Now, Joseph is a Hebrew man which is one strike against him. Also, Joseph had just given him bad interpretations of this dream. Uh, The interpretations were good, but what he was saying was bad. We're going to have a horrible famine. And usually from the Pharaoh, that would mean, well, get him out of here. He has nothing good to say. But Pharaoh understood uh, that these dreams were threatening, even to him. And so he didn't hold any prejudice against Joseph. In fact, he did just the opposite. He said, who can we find that has God's spirit like this? This kind of wisdom can only come from God. And and interestingly enough, this is only the second mention of God's spirit in Genesis. The first one was all the way back in creation in in chapter 1 verse 2. But wisdom is one of the gifts of God's spirit. And Pharaoh notices this this, and he says, who is like this? And then he answers his own question in verses uh, 39 and 40. Joseph is our man. Joseph is the guy we have to go with. And I'm going to put him uh, above everybody except me. And that's only really regarding the throne. I'll just sit on the, the throne, but Joseph is really in charge of everything. It's, it's uh, a position uh, in the Middle East that would call the, be called the uh, vizier. And, and there's really no Hebrew word for that. But, but uh, the, the vizier, what, what, what does that mean? Well, I, I looked it up. Um, and what it means is I took a couple of different definitions. All government activities are under his control. All government activities. Another says, there is no important state activity which does not relate to his authority. And if we can work through that double negative in that sentence, what he's saying is there's nothing that that he can't control. Anything of any importance at all, and and you notice that Pharaoh mentions that a little bit later on, anything anybody does, they have to go through you. And so, uh, Joseph gets this huge promotion. And in verses uh, 41 through 46, we, we get this ceremony. And actually, this ceremony is easy for us to visualize, um, this installation, uh, because uh, the Egyptians were so good in, in writing down what they did at these kinds of, of ceremonies. And so if you see a movie or see pictures and they're historically correct, um, about how these uh, ceremonies go. That's it. I mean, they were very clear on, on what they did, and, and this is one of the great visuals in the Bible that we can see how he, how he gets the, the ring, uh, and that's uh, the symbol of, of the authority. He's got the authority of Pharaoh himself with this ring, and, and he gets the, the chariot of the second in command. Now, he gets a new Egyptian name, and uh, the precise meaning of that is uncertain. We don't really know. But he also gets married into one of the top Egyptian families. And that's also uh, a seal of the promotion. When you marry into a family, uh, one of the top families, that is, that's okay. He's the real deal. And uh, a senet, or a senate, it depends on uh, your translation of, of the Bible there, uh, is just really a, a good Egyptian name. Um, it it kind of conveys this: this is a good woman. So he's, he's got this this good a wife, and from this uh, family, and, and he's in charge of of everything in the land. And in verse 46, we see he's 30 years old when this happens. And we can do some quick math uh, and and see uh, what has been going on. And this is uh, somewhat significant. He's 30 years old. Now, if we go back to chapter 37, when his brothers first sold him and he went into slavery in Egypt, he was 17 years old. So basically, for 13 years, his life has been on a downhill trajectory. He was a son, uh, then he was a slave, then he was thrown in prison, he was uh, forgotten in prison. He's been going downhill for 13 years. But I want to back up, and this is something I mentioned I would come back to uh, in, in verse 14 from last week when Pharaoh was trying to figure out these dreams, and he was quite concerned about them, and, and he sent and he called for Joseph, knowing that, that Joseph uh, had interpreted dreams, and, and it says they, they quickly brought him out of the pit, and, and they shaved him, and they put clothes on him, and, and you think about this. Now, these people, they wanted to get Joseph in front of Pharaoh as quickly as they could. Pharaoh was upset, and so uh, they... They shaved him, put these clothes on him, and you think, well, how long uh, would have this taken, especially if they're trying to do this really fast? Uh, Maybe an hour? Maybe, from the time they went and got him and cleaned him up and brought him in front of Pharaoh to interpret the dreams. Maybe an hour. But the point is this. God had Joseph stalled out, basically, for 13 years, And in one hour or less, everything changed. Everything changed. It happened so quickly. And we notice how God is moving here. Thirteen years of preparation, and then one hour, everything changes. It's this reminder that we're always to be ready. We don't know what God has in front of us. And everything can change in a heartbeat. It's almost like an astronaut who studies for years and years to be an astronaut, and they train, and, and they're given their assignments of when they're going to go in space, uh, years sometimes, but certainly many months before they actually go into space. This would be almost as though uh, all of a sudden uh, uh, an astronaut who's, who's studying and doing his thing is told, oh, we're going to send a rocket in one hour. By the way, you're on it. Be ready. That's kind of what happened to Joseph here. Thirteen years, and all of a sudden, in one hour, you're leading the nation. And so Joseph now is in charge. And we see then in verses 47 through 57 that the dreams and the interpretation of the dreams happen. Uh, 47 through 49 are, are the good years. And notice that that kind of goes by quickly. And in the Hebrew, you notice that the, the language indicates kind of this, this quickness or this brevity about it. Time is flying by. It's kind of that saying, time flies when you're having fun. And they were having fun. Things were good. And crops were growing. And they were storing things. And it went pretty quickly. And also notice this in verse 49. There's that phrase in there, like sand of the sea. He had stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea. Those are the words that God used when he made promises to Abraham back in, in Genesis 22. Also, when he made promises to Jacob. Jacob back in chapter 32. It was about having uh, descendants who would bless the world. And And that phrase gets used here, Moses, as he writes Genesis, uses that phrase here. And also notice that that comes just before there's the mention of Joseph's own sons. There's this reminder here that God is doing more than just feeding people. It's a great blessing that he's going to keep these people alive through the famine, but this phrase is thrown in to remind us that God remembers these promises that there will be this person later on who will be a blessing to the whole world, the the Messiah. God is doing far more than feeding people as great and wonderful as that is. He's fulfilling promises and bringing that promised one along. And so Joseph, as I mentioned, has these sons then. Uh, Manasseh, the first one, which basically means uh, making to forget is, is uh, the definition, I guess, of that word. Uh, but, and, and Joseph recognizes that. Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. And then uh, the second name in verse uh, 52, uh, Ephraim, which basically means uh, fertile land or pasture land, Or perhaps making fruitful, depending on how you want to use it. And Joseph actually uses it both ways. uh, When he says, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, and both names, when you look at them, are expressing uh, thankfulness to God. He's expressing his faith that God has been with him and has blessed him. But we remember, it took a lot of bad years for Joseph to get to this place where if there was a time where he could uh, be a little brash and be a little arrogant, it would be now. But now, uh, as things are going good and he's in charge, he's recognizing God's hand in all of this. And he's crediting uh, God for all of this. Uh, One commentator wrote, uh, he is no longer the brash teenager whose careless character annoyed everyone. Now Joseph is intelligent and wise without peer in Egypt. The veil of tears has proved to be the valley of soul-making. And I love that somewhat poetic last line he puts on. The veil of tears has proved to be the valley of soul-making. Joseph is now deep enough into God that even when things are going great and people are bowing down to Joseph, he's recognizing God's hand in his life. And in verse 54, we see everything happen, just like Joseph said it would. Or another way to say that, it's happening as God had determined it would. And then we get to the famine. The famine starts, and, and the description of the famine as, as you look at it is uh, terse and uh, repetitive. Just uh, notice the word famine in there, starting at verse 54. Seven years of Famine. And then later on, there was famine in all the lands. Verse 55, the, Egypt was famished. Uh, verse 56, the famine had spread over the land. And, and later on, the famine was severe. And f- verse 57, the famine was severe. Was just repetitive and, and uh, as I mentioned, somewhat terse. And it just highlights the seriousness of this famine. It really is bad. As bad as Joseph said it was going to be, very severe over all the earth. And I also want to go back to something from a few weeks ago, before we move forward, because the famine's going to get talked about uh, for a few chapters here. Much of what happens in the next few chapters is uh, taking place during the famine. But if you go back to chapter 40, verses 14 and 15, what was happening there is that's when Joseph was interpreting the dreams of the cupbearer. And he told the cupbearer, he said, now when this happens, because you are going to get your job back and you are going to put a cup into Pharaoh's hand and when you do that, I want you to remember me and get me out of this house. Get me out of this pit. I should be back in the land of the Hebrews. That's where I was stolen from. That's where I should be. So get me out of this house. And when you think about it, if the cupbearer had remembered Joseph right away and had him released, where would Joseph be right now? He would be back in the land of the Hebrews and he would be doing no good. But God needed him in Egypt. God kept him in Egypt because God had a plan much bigger than Joseph could even imagine. In Proverbs chapter 16, we read that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Joseph had plans to get out of Dodge, but God said, no, your your plan is here. In 1 Peter chapter 5, this also comes to mind when we think of where Joseph was at, humbled And and 1 Peter, uh, he writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And when we see in verse 57 of our passage here, all the earth came to Egypt. All the earth was coming to Joseph. The Lord was exalting Joseph after humbling him those 13 years. But now, Joseph is needed. And all the earth is coming to him. It reminds me of a, a story. And I, I've mentioned this in different contexts before. It's a, it's a pastor, and uh, he's, he's from the south. Uh, he's, he's a PCA pastor. And uh, typically, uh, there's not many, there's more now, but there's not many PCA uh, churches up north. It is growing. Uh, but what would happen uh, a few years ago is many of the pastors that would go up there had to be from the south. This is where the pastors were coming from. And, and uh, so this one pastor, uh, there was a call to serve a church up in Minnesota. And his whole family and his wife's family were uh, from the south. And, and uh, so he was praying through this call of going to Minnesota. And, and he's thinking, I'm going to have to move you know, a thousand miles away from my family. And, and let's face it, Minnesota's cold. And he doesn't know cold until he you know, gets to Minnesota. And, and, and as he's praying about this, his prayer took on this tone of, God, I really don't want to go. I want to serve you, but maybe there is a call down here where I can serve you. And praying through this one time, he said there was a thought in his head that uh, it it seemed like it was almost audible. It was so clear. And, And it was basically this, God saying, look, I went to the cross for you. I thought you could go to Minnesota for me. I think that is a great attitude to have. You know, sometimes we try to make sense of what's going on in life or our suffering in life at the time. And it it doesn't always work that way. But God is directing our steps. And we have to remember, he humiliated himself to the point of the cross to die for our sins that we may be exalted before the throne. He can present us faultless before the throne of God because he humbled himself on the cross. And he's directing our steps. And he has this all-knowing plan that's bigger than anything we can even imagine. And when we think of the lengths that God went to for our salvation, how he humbled himself, sometimes I have to pause and think, you know, my temporary comfort isn't all that important. When I think of what you've done for me, I will serve you wherever I am. Because you see, God has us in a place. And then wherever that place is or whatever condition we're in, that is where he wants us to serve. And he wants us to be ready, keep growing in his word, because things can change in a minute. That's how he works. He may have you in a place and you're thinking, what are you doing putting me here this long? But it may change overnight. And sometimes we can adapt that attitude of, you know what, God? I will be really effective for you once you get me out of this place. I will be really obedient to you once you put me over there. But God says, no, I want you to be effective and obedient where you are right now. Joseph lived that. Humbled to the point of being a prisoner. Now exalted. As head over the nation. God has this plan. Bigger than we can imagine. We don't get to pick and choose when we're going to be effective and obedient. We are effective and obedient where God puts us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We do thank you that we have the life of Joseph to look at, to see how you work, to see that sometimes it is years even of suffering, years of being in a place that we can't figure out, but we have the assurance of knowing that you are directing our steps and you have this great plan. And that we can be effective where we are in whatever situation you put us. We can be obedient. And it is pleasing to you. And that you have the ability to change our situation on a moment's notice. We love you. We do seek to serve you. Help us in our walk that we will be obedient wherever we are. And that we will always remember that it was Christ's obedience on the cross that brought us our salvation, that we may be exalted. Heavenly Father, we exalt you with our lives through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you will, turn to hymn 47. We'll stand and sing the first three verses of God Will Take Care of You.